These are helper engines. It takes at least six of them to push the mile-long trains of Buckcliffe's coal up this valley and over the Wasatch Mountains. John and I are standing on this ridge overlooking the town of Helper, behind which is this fantastic exposure of Buckcliffe stratigraphy. The lower part of the Helper face is comprised of a series of blue-grey weathered marine shales. We'll take a look at those in more detail later. The upper part includes a whole series of sandstone benches. Each one of these benches represents a phase of either delta or shore face progradation. I'm going to take a look at one of these in detail now, and it's the one that's about the level of that balanced rock. The stratigraphy at the level of the balanced rock is most easily seen at Gentile Wash, a few miles north of Helper. This is Gentile Wash, a small canyon near to the Helper face. The succession we'll see as we walk up this canyon will give us the opportunity to take a closer look at the fasces which comprise the, the rock bands that we see towards the top of the face. The lower part of the succession here is comprised of a series of blue-grey silty mudstones which contain a, an abundance of trace fossils and bioturbation and lack any really clear good stratification within them. The other key observation about these mudstones is that they don't actually contain or they're not interbedded with any sandstones. This lack of sandstone tells us that the mudstones were deposited out of suspension in relatively deep waters where storms and waves couldn't affect the seabed. This means we're in the offshore environment. The abundance of the bioturbation tells us that we're in a open marine environment that was fairly favourable for organisms to live in. As we pass upwards, we see the first appearance of a sandstone. This sandstone here is about 10 to 20 centimetres thick, fine-grained and includes low-angle, sweeping hummocky laminations. These hummocky laminations are hummocky cross-stratification and this is developed through storms. The fact that we actually have storm deposits tells us that storm waves are affecting the seabed. This point here we define as storm wave base. The interval above it, which includes a whole series of these hummocky beds, is the interval that we call the offshore transition zone. And it comprises a series of interbedded sandstones and siltstones. As we move up the succession, the individual hummocky beds become thicker and start to become more amalgamated the proportion of siltstones we see decreases. This carries on until we get to a point where individual hummocky beds are in the order of about 60 centimetres to a metre and we have no siltstone. We can see the big, broad sweep of the low angle laminations which comprise the hummock and we can see if we look across in the third dimension on this right angle face over here that the bed form also has a hummocky shape to it. This tells us of its overall domal nature. The laminations are cross-cut by burrows and bioturbation, and the key observation here is the absence of siltstone. The beds themselves are still deposited by the storms, but the fair weather wave action is actually removing any of the siltstone that would be deposited in between the storm events. The base of the lower shore face is defined as fair weather wave base, 
which in a system like this is typically at 20 to 25 meters. Overlying the hummocky cross-stratified beds of the lower part of the shore face, we pass upwards into a series of white, well-sorted, cross-bedded sandstones. The cross-stratification we see in these sandstones is slightly different to the low-angle laminations we saw in the hummocks. Here we see a series of steeper dipping forsets, typically all migrating in the same direction. This is trough cross-stratification, and this represents the migration of dunes in the upper part of the shore face. Shoaling waves which are coming onshore pick up sediment, build dune bed forms, and then ultimately deposit it in this trough cross-stratification. Above the trough cross-stratified sands, we pass upwards into a series of low-angle laminated sandstones, which are also white. These dip gently at about one or two degrees towards the east, and this cross-stratification represents the deposits of the beach. This is where the waves are actually breaking and the shoaling waters are creating this planar cross-stratification. The beach interval itself is relatively thin. It's in the order of about two and a half meters, and this tells us something about the tidal range. This tells us that the tidal range is in the upper part of microtidal to the lower part of mesotidal. The deposits which overlie the beach can be seen slightly further up the canyon. So the question is, what might we expect to find? So in this case, overlying our beach, we see a black bituminous coal. The coal is about 30 to 40 centimeters thick and represents a deposit that was laid down in a peat swamp. The peat swamp was sitting immediately behind the beach and tells us some significant factors about the climate, that it was warm, tropical, and that there was frequent rainfall. We know this coal grew in situ because if we look at the underlying beach deposits, we can see these pitted pockmarks. These represent the rootlets of the plants that were growing in the peat swamp as they passed down into the sediment of the upper part of the beach. Much of the strata in the book cliffs was deposited in shallow marine systems, similar to the ones we've just seen. Sediment supplied to the coast via rivers was reworked by fair weather and storm waves into long, thin beaches backed by luxuriant forests. The shallowing up succession at Gentile Wash that John walked through resulted from the progradation of this coastal depositional system he started here, at the boundary between offshore shales and sandstones and shales of the offshore transition. As the system progrades, successively shallow water fasces are preserved at a given point, so that eventually all the marine accommodation space is filled. The succession John walked through represents a single phase of progradation called a parasequence. The boundary between parasequences is marked by a flooding surface. In the book cliffs and similar systems, the boundaries are always very sharp and planar, but they have different expressions in basinal and proximal settings.